0: Now last week we looked at, actually not even last week, the last several weeks we've been looking at faith. We've looked at faith defined. We've looked at what God can do by faith in the lives and the hearts and through people in the world today. We've, we've looked at how God can move us into the unknown and that by faith with him alongside us, be able to encounter so many things that are full of uncertainty. And yet, because we are with the author and perfecter of our faith, come out the other side in victory. We can also be confronted by so many uncertain things. We can be confronted by the unknown, things that just can just floor us, things that can just reveal to us our own weaknesses or our own deficiencies in our lives. And and then to turn our eyes to him, Who can be more than sufficient? His grace, that is more than sufficient, as we look at 2 Corinthians 12. And so we're coming to our last message from the Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, the hall of fame, sorry, the faith hall of fame. We're coming to the last message. So, If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And and I'm gonna read to you from verses 32 to 40. It's the last passage of Hebrews chapter 11 right before it jumps into Hebrews chapter 12 where it it confronts us with how we are then to live, where we are then to have our focus. So let's read this and then as we go through this passage I want to see, well I want us to pray that God will, will place us in this and see how great he is through people as weak and as frail as us. Starting at verse 32, I'm reading from the CSB. It says this. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute Persecuted and ill-treated, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Verse 39, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Um, on Friday I was teaching at a scripture lesson in in the local high school and I was looking at Habakkuk and we're looking at how the prophets were people that went against the flow. They went against the flow. When everyone's walking one way, you have a man or woman of God that went against the flow. And I said this, I said, when you go against the flow, it's not easy. When you go against the flow, there's resistance. When you go against the flow, there is persecution. When you go against the flow, there's harassment. Why? Because you're standing upon the word of God, which is in direct contradiction to what a lot of the world promotes today. We live to a standard, to a set of values, and we, by faith, trust in what our God has to say. We trust in His promises Because in the past 31 verses, we've been given a detailed explanation of what happens when one walks by faith and what God can do in and with and through people who by faith trust in him. So today, in closing off this chapter, we're gonna look at faith and what I like to call the adventure of walking with the Lord. The adventure. I don't know what adventures you've been on in life, I don't know what things have happened in your life, but I do know this, walking with the Lord by faith is one of the scariest, but also one of the most exciting things that can happen to you. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to reveal to us the truths of scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you that by your Son, you have given us the chance to be made right with you. That in his death, we can have our sin forgiven. That in his resurrection, we can have our destiny secured. And I pray that this morning, you might talk to us through the scriptures and reveal to us the sheer magnificence, the glory, and the greatness of your love to us who are so undeserving. Please teach us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. I've quoted it many a time, but it's right before they go into the promised land. They're confronted by the Jordan. And, and as they are standing there, God speaks to Joshua and says, This. He says, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. That's from the New King James. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now there's a a couple of things I like about this statement. And what it does is actually it references the mutual responsibility that we have in our relationship with God. It's like with any relationship. We've, We've had the guaranteed five months of Brad and Cass. And that when they sat there with the I do's, they had the, the mutual responsibility of how they, by faith, devote themselves to each other, that you will be faithful to me and that I will be faithful to you. All through our lives, we must demonstrate an act of faith by trusting those that are around us, by trusting people on the road when we drive, by trusting that our employers will pay us on time, by trusting that our neighbors won't rob us in the evening. We must live by faith continually. And I like this description involved here because it's the responsibility of Israel as well as the responsibility of God reflected in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. That he is the God of wonders, as referred to in Deuteronomy 4, verse 34. He's the God of wonders who plans in Psalm 40, verse 5, and moves on behalf of his people in Joel chapter 2, verse 26. So he desires to test, to plan, and to move in our lives too. But it's not one-sided. It is not one-sided. Like the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, who was told to get up and move, he would not experience the, the fullness of God's promise until he did what? Until he got up and moved. So too, when you look at Moses and the 10th and, and the plague with the, the the killing of the firstborn. They had to actually kill an innocent lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and the lentil but they had to actually do that. God gave the promise, God gave the instruction, but it involved them actually responding to that and doing what was asked of him. So too, like with Joshua and the crossing of the Jordan, he is told to step into the Jordan and then God will move. There's this mutual responsibility that takes place in the journey that we have, in the adventure that we take with the Lord. Israel had their part to play to receive the wonders of God. They were to sanctify themselves. And what I think is really quite exciting is with them, as God instructed, they followed their instruction. As God said, they obeyed. As God moved, they responded. As God gave a promise, it resulted in them winning in victory. And this mutual mutual interaction I speak of with God and Israel is the same mutual interaction that is involved with us as well. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about our salvation from sin. That is God and God alone. This is talking about sanctification, how we as his people live. You see, our salvation from sin is all of him. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation from sin because I am tainted by sin, sin that offends God, sin that condemns me, sin that seals my fate to a Christless eternity in hell. And yet God in his love, seeing my need, sends his son. God himself adorns himself in flesh to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He lives this perfect life. He he gets falsely accused and falsely arrested. He gets nailed to a cross, taking upon himself your sin and my sin so that I don't have to suffer the full brunt of God's judgment. That's all of him. 2 Corinthians 5, when it says that he who knew no sin became sin for me and that in his death, he paid the penalty for that. It's in a payment that God was pleased with because Jesus rose from the dead showing that God was pleased with the sacrifice made and that anyone who trusts in him will be forgiven of this and, and have the opportunity to be made right with God. That, that is some good news and that is what communion is all about. We celebrate it once a month. And, I, and I, I understand why we celebrate it once a month. Some churches celebrate it weekly. Some, and, and I understand that as well. But we take things that are routine and, and it's really easy for us to lose the meaning behind it. We can just become ritualistic in what we do. And I have my cup and my wafer over there. But this is what, excuse me everybody at home. But this, and what we celebrate, if you have this available to you, this is to remind us of the greatness of God's love to you. This is to remind us that from eternity past to eternity future, God had you on his mind. And that when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, he had you on his heart. This is, is what we get to celebrate once a month to remind us of God's love to us and for us. And so if you do have your bibles please turn just I just want to take a quick sidetrack here. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and if you have your if I could ask the welcome team if is there anyone that doesn't have their communion elements? Okay, so the, here they come now. They're going to hand these. See, the Lord Jesus did this with his disciples on the very night in which he was betrayed. And he brought this around. And he took bread and he broke it. He drank wine as a symbol of what he was going to do for you and for me. And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, through to 26, I'm gonna read verse 23 and 24 first. We read for I received from the Lord that what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As one, if you have the wafer, Let's take the wafer together as we remember the body that was broken for us. And then I'll pray and then we'll take the next one. Let's take the wafer together. Father, we come before you and thank you for your son who allowed his body to be broken for us, who allowed his body to be brutally scourged and whipped, who allowed himself to be mocked so that we might have the opportunity to call out to you like this. The fact that we have the privilege to call you Father. Thank you that in his body and in his death, we can find life. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. And pray that we will not take such a sacrifice so lightly, but be evident in what we do and in how we live in honor of you. In Jesus' name, amen carry on reading in in verse 25 we read in the same way he also took the cup after supper he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me has been shared for the last few weeks without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood there is no cleansing without the shedding of blood there is no atonement Therefore, when we come to the Lord as washed and as cleansed, it is because we have been covered by the blood of Christ, in whom we have life, in whom we have forgiveness, in whom we have redemption. And this is what the wine signifies, to remind us of how much he is willing to give for us. So if you have the wine, let's all drink together, and then I'll pray. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood. Thank you so much that in your willing sacrifice, we can be made as new, that we are new creations on Christ, that all things become new and that old things have passed away. I pray that we would live in the newness of life that you purchased for us with your blood. Once again, I pray that we will not take for granted or take lightly the price that you gave. And I thank you so much that we can enter your presence even now because of the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just want to close in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this blood, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that is until he comes. This, we get to celebrate communion each month or each week or whenever we celebrate it until Christ's return. That when he comes back, then we get to stop. Why? Because we are in his presence. But you see, this is what the Lord Jesus done for us in order for us to be made new, in order for us to be called his children, in order for us to live by faith in the promises that he has given us in his word. For us to live by faith in the power that he has given us by his spirit. For us to be able to live by faith in the victory and in the abundance that he promises. This is what our Christian lives are about. That because of what we just remembered in communion, we now get to walk with God together. We walk with him together. It's not about me doing my own thing. It's not about me relying on myself. It's this mutual thing where God plays his part and I play my part. And in that mutual working together, we are able to accomplish so many exciting things. So there can be two things I want to focus on in this passage. There's so much more. When I was actually typing this all out, I realized I had like 10 pages. And I'm like, wow, that's far too much. That is far too much. So I'll only do like nine. All right, so anyway, this is what it is. I really like this passage because, I, I call it this, the vessels through whom God's grace moves. The vessels through whom God's grace moves. That's what makes this passage so exciting. In verse 32, we read this. The writer of Hebrews says, what more shall I say? We've already gone through a whole bunch of people. We've gone through the likes of, of, of Abraham. We've gone through Noah. We've gone through through Abel and, and Cain. We've, we've gone through... Uh, 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 Sarah, we, we, we've gone through a whole bunch of different people who by faith God was able to do some amazing things. And now we have some specific people mentioned in this last part of Hebrews 11. Verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, or Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets. The specific people God names here are, get this, imperfect people. They are imperfect people. They are what I like to call cracked vessels that in one way or another accurately describe all of us to some degree. I know for sure that it describes me in so many ways. For example, Gideon, if you read in Judges chapter six, we're not gonna go back to it, but I look at Gideon. Gideon was a cautious man doing things in secret to hide food from the Midianites, uh, Judges 6.11. He did things at night. Judges 6.27, and he asked for specific signs when he laid the fleece on the ground and said, God, if you really want me to do this, if you've given me victory, then I need you to do this for me. It's that real sort of bargaining with God, isn't it? know, oh, if you show me this, then I'll do that. Oh, thanks, Lord, but you know, if, if you show me that, then I'll do this. As easy, it is, as easy as it is to condemn Gideon's actions, I do the same. These are all things we are guilty of in our journey with the Lord. And we are cautious in the way we do things. We might be like an undercover Christian, perhaps, doing things at night so they don't stand out. We might be, we might be hiding things away in case we get found out. We might be doing those little things in the secret, hoping, hoping that if they find out, if they if they don't find out I'm a Christian, then maybe maybe I can be accepted in whatever it might be that somebody else is doing. Maybe we're a little bit like Gideon. But you notice something? Gideon is mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame here. Why? Because the focus isn't the fact that he's a cautious man. The focus is what God can do through a cautious man despite his weakness. And here he is mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame. You look at Barak. Barak, a man that dealt in his divine call. He refused to go further unless God's prophet, Deborah, went with him. And you look at that in Judges chapter 4. And how he was granted a victory, but missed out on the fullness of that victory because of that doubt. Again, another cracked vessel that reflects many of our hearts, including my own. Once again, there's, a, there's this doubt that reveals where the focus of his security lay. He, he was basing his security on the fact that he was accompanied by Deborah, as opposed to of trusting in God's word and what God had already promised him. But is that not like us? Isn't that not like us where we'll sit down and say, well, I will do something unless. Isn't that not like us where we put conditions on what God has promised us, promised us in his word when he says things like, I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus in Philippians, and what do we do? Well, Lord, but I know you promised us. Could you do this for me? Can this happen and fall into place for me before I step out by faith? And yes, we might, we might partake of a victory. We might experience God's blessing in those things, but we will miss out on the fullness of seeing God work completely because we've had our reliance on what man would do. Or you look at Samson. Samson, oh, Samson. I, I, look, this is, I think of all the people that are referenced here, Samson attitude-wise is very similar to me. Not that I have long hair. You, you can see that for yourself. But in Judges chapter 13, verse 16, we have a man governed by his lusts. A man governed by his desires. How many times have you heard? How many times have you done something and you've been governed by this one phrase, I'll do it when I feel like it. This is Samson. I don't feel like it. Don't worry about it. We're not called to be doing things judged by our feelings. Man, if we we only ever did what we felt like, we would never go to work. If we only did what we felt like, we would never do the dishes. We wouldn't do anything around the house. We wouldn't do anything. Why? Because I don't feel like it. Man, the times that I saw my parents get up and do things that they didn't feel like for the benefit of us as their kids. I I look at our aunties and uncles within our church who have done so many things for us. When I look around and I see this generation here and I see, wow, I look at all these people and what your parents have done for you even when they didn't feel like it. Why? Because of their love for you, because they saw the bigger picture. This is Samson. This is Samson. And we do so many things because we don't feel like it. But what's sad is we take that same mentality in our journey with Jesus. He calls us to live by faith, to step out by faith and see what God will do. And you know what we do? We're like, I don't feel like it. It's too hard. Maybe tomorrow. You like myself. But isn't that us? That that is us. And we miss out. The, see this idea of, of how we feel is starting to take it's starting to take sort of a, a prevalent position within the Church of Jesus Christ. Of how we feel is starting to take prevalent position in how we do our quiet times and how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. How we feel is starting to be the number one thing. And it's evident today when you look at society. In society today, everything is about, well, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. Look, this is a safe space. This is a safe space where we have the opportunity to be who we are in Christ, to be who we are in all our failings and all our weaknesses, which is what we're looking at here. I mean, you read in Romans chapter seven, Paul lists, Paul lists the struggles that he would go through. Oh, the things I wanna do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, yeah, I do. And he's wrestling with this himself. So it's not new. But if the one place, the one place we should be comfortable to allow people to see us in all our weaknesses and in all our failings, it should be here. It has to be here. But you know why we don't? Because like Samson, we don't feel like it. But get this, get this. Samson is recorded in the Faith Hall of Fame. Once again, not because of him and what governed him, but what God could do through him. Look at Jephthah. This guy was an outcast and a leader of rebels in Judges 11. He, once again, sought to strike a deal. He was one, instead of trusting him, he was one that says, if you do this, then I'll do that. Which reveals to me Jephthah's view of God, that it was very limited. He had a very limited view of God, and, and he wasn't able to see to the fullest what God was desiring to work in and through him. And yet, once again, he is mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame. I want to sort of get moving here. You look at David, and David that was relifted as a man after God's own heart, yet you read in Second Samuel chapter 11 how he wanted what he wanted rather than what God wanted. When he, instead of being out leading his nation into battle, he was standing on his balcony looking out at the night sky where he sees a woman on a roof naked having a bath and he went, I want that. And he gave in to his desire as opposed to God's desires. And this man after God's own heart ended up falling as he gave in to his own heart, which we are told within the scriptures that our hearts are deceitful. And desperately wicked. Yet he is listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. Samuel, as one, as a youngster, was heeding the voice of God when when he was a, a youngster left in the temple and being looked after by Eli. He was so close to hear the voice of God. And yet, and yet he failed in raising a generation that faithfully served. When you look at his sons and, and how they burned forbidden fire, there's a legacy of, of 1 Samuel 8, chapter 8 verses 1 to 3. You, you read about how his sons failed, how they took the opportunity and they used it to make money. Their position as being within the temple, as being priests and how they abuse that to make money, to, to, to please themselves and his failure as a father. And when he raised the next generation and when they fell short, like I said last week, we want our kids raised a certain way, then it's up to us. We want our kids raised up in, in the ways of God, then it's up to the parents to work in the home. And us here at the church, we have a part to play in it, but honestly, Nick Nick can't have as much an influence on, on say, Zach, because he only sees them once a week. It's a Sunday. The Sunday school teachers only see them once a week. You as parents see them every day. And you have that opportunity to raise the next generation. And even Samuel, with all his failings, we read that he is a man that is listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. Then you read about the prophets, the men and women of God who had their own issues as being the bearers of God's message to the people. I mean, you look at Jonah. He was a dude that ran away from God's call, got swallowed by a fish, spat back out, and then had a problem with God right until the very end. You look at Jeremiah as he preached to the Nation of Judah, the weeping prophet who was so burdened just, and just cried, and just cried. You look at Habakkuk who was full of questions as to why God wasn't moving. You look at these prophets who reflect, you and I, these prophets who show that, that they don't have all the questions answered either. They are, they are ordinary people. They are cracked vessels and the faults they demonstrate, the failures they reveal, the mistakes they make never discounted them from being a part of God's big plan. It never discounted them from them being used by God to promote his kingdom, provided they were willing to bring themselves under God's word and under the Spirit's leading. Now, that was a long, long babble. But, there are Gideons. I mean, where are the Gideons who lay out the fleece. Where the Baraks who are too fearful to make the Lord to take the Lord completely at his word. Where the Samsons that are governed by how we feel as opposed to what God says. Where are the, the Jephthas? Where are the Davids? Where are the Samuels? When we try to bargain with the God who owes us nothing. Or we think we deserve a break from what we're doing because we go to church on a Sunday or we go to a Bible study during the week or we attend a prayer meeting once a month. or we'll do communion. We, we think, okay, I've done this for you, God. Can you do this for me? It's not how it works. We're, we're all these people, and yet in all of their weaknesses, God in his grace, God in his goodness, God in his mercy, takes them and does amazing things. These are the works of what God's power could achieve even through cracked vessels such as these. If you read with me, From verses 33 through to to verse 36, we read this, that these cracked vessels who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lies, who quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. God was not limited by their failures. He was not threatened by their mistakes. The plan of God had never deviated or was never in jeopardy of falling short because God in his power can bring about his purposes despite the cracked vessels that he uses, for, uses them for. Now think about this. If God can do such amazing things through the people listed in the scriptures with all their weaknesses, with all their failings, with all their letdowns, with all their mistakes, Think about what God can do through this group of people here. Think about what God can do. Even with me and all my inadequacies, even with me with all my failings, even with me with all my mistakes, God can use me to do something that I would never have dreamed. God can use you to do something that you could never think you were capable of. The only thing that keeps us from doing this is the fear of the unknown, and yet He's taken care of the unknown. The only thing that stops us is our fear of uncertainty, fear of uncertainties, and yet the uncertainties are taken care of by him who sees the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the one that knows all things that take place between this passage that is called time. From time beginning to time ending, from eternity past to eternity future, God has everything in his hand. And you know what he does? This great God who spoke the universe into being, he says, Joe, I want you to be a part of what I want to do. He's saying, Ben, I want you to be a part of it. Danny, I want you to be a part of it. Tony, Chris, Alyssa, I want you to be a part of it. And he invites us to be a part of that as well. If he can do such amazing things through the cracked vessels that are written down in Scripture and who were revealed as being weak and foolish and in some cases stupid, then he can take people like me who are weak and foolish and more often than not stupid and do some amazing things as I trust in him. They were able to do some amazing, the, the works of the Lord that he desires to do within us as a church and within us as individuals, See, the purpose of today's message is so that you and I will join in what God is looking to do. It's for us to join Him on this adventure of faith. Have you ever been on a hike? Who's been on a hike? Like an overnight hike? Oh. <laughs> like the, who's been on a hike? Well, these people go, no, overnight hike. Ah, oh, no, no. Oh, one, per, one person, one person. All right. So I went on an overnight hike once and it was really cool i went on a camp it was a it was a, it's not a sports illustration but it was a rugby camp so i went, I went on a camp and we're down we're down in what's called uh, and, and to the the, narrow, the Narahoe national park or the tongariro national park in the middle of the north island and it was really cool so you have three mountains three mountains mount ruapehu mount mount tongariro and mount Narahoe. three uh, three uh, volcanoes active volcanoes next to each other in the middle of the um, uh north island um, actually one of them one, one of my one of my nieces were at, at a camp at that area a few years ago and mount Ruapehu erupted and they got told they're on a they're on a bushwalk and they got told yeah run <laughs> that was it that, that was that was the big plan <laughs> just run and they're like where to the road and so they had to run and then wait for a bus to get them while it was erupting way to go new zealand good stuff okay but here, but here's the thing. So we went, we went on an overnight, we went on an overnight hike. We went on an overnight hike. And our, our, it was uh, us and the hockey team, the rugby team, and the hockey team. So we went on a hike, and it was really good. But there was there were three things that we needed to have un- understood in, in our hike. One, we had to understand the terrain. We had to understand the terrain, like roughly what the weather was going to be like and what the terrain is going to be like. And the terrain was it was just desolate. It was desolate. We had an understanding of this. So there was maybe a good, maybe 60-odd of us walking in a line doing this, okay? So we had to understand the terrain. Two, we had to have the right attire. Had to have the right hiking boots. Had to have the right clothes. It was, because it's in the middle of the North Island, it was freezing. It was really cold. So we had to have the right attire so we could handle the elements. Now, I had hair back then, but even though I had to have a beanie when I had hair back then. And so we were walking along like that. Okay, fair enough, okay? And three, you need to understand what your limitations were as a people. What you're capable of, those that were really slow and stuff like that. So they had all the athletic types and all that sort of stuff, which was not me. Yeah, you know, all those guys sort of at the back so people didn't drag food too far behind. And then we had to work together. So people had to understand a bit as to what their skills were, what, skills, what they were capable of handling. Um, I think there was only one guy we carried and that was okay. That was okay. He was, only, he was a halfback, so he was only small anyway. Okay, so which, which made things handy. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. By faith, as we've been called into this new life in Christ, we need to be aware of the same things. We need to be aware of The terrain we are entering into. We need to be aware of that. And we are told in the scriptures, for example, in John 16, 33, we are told that in the world there'll be what? Trouble. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be trouble. Not trouble you cause, but you're going to be opposed as you walk. You've got to understand the terrain. You've got to understand the terrain because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we are told we struggle that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're told that but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we've got to know the terrain. It's not easy. Living a life by faith following Jesus Christ is not easy because everybody is opposed to it. We understand in 1 Peter 5.8 that our adversary, the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeing who he can devour. That's our terrain as we go from here. And the thing is this, We come into this body of believers and it's wonderful. I love the fellowship. I love getting around each other. I love being able to support each other in this. But we have those same things even within the four walls of the church, that there's trouble, that there's wrestling, and that the enemy uses various things to stir up strife. So we've got to know the terrain. So what do we need to do? If if that's what we're entering into, well then, then we have to have the right attire. You read in Ephesians chapter six, we need to be adorned in the armor of God. Have the helmet on, have the breastplate on, have the belt on, okay? Have, have the, the, the shoes of the gospel of preparation of peace. Wield the sword of the spirit, holding the shield of faith. And then it says this in verse 18, and in all things, prayer. Prayer. Those are adorned by prayer. That's how we, that's how, if we're gonna move into that terrain, then it's best that we'd be wearing the right attire. I mean, I know know Brad, and I've seen Brad play basketball once. And does he miss shots? Yes. But he's actually, they dress right. And there's so many basketballers here. And and for those at home, I'm one of the old people that try to play basketball. But you've got to have the right attire. Attire that suits the terrain that you're going into. Which means this, in your home, then you prepare by adorning yourself in the armor of God, even when you're at home. That when you're at home, you don't spend all your time watching Netflix, don't spend all your time playing games, but you spend time in the word of God. You spend time in prayer. Spend spend time meditating on the scriptures and heeding what God has to say. So if if you know your terrain, then wear the appropriate attire. And then lastly, Know, know your limitations. Know the ways that God has reserved, not for the angelic perfect people in the world today, but for the imperfect cracked vessels that you and I are. Because it is in the imperfect cracked vessels, God is able to do amazing things. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, turn very quickly to First Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm gonna read from verse 30 down to, to verse five of chapter two. And it says this. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. That's God's part. That is God's part. Verse 31, in order that as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you brothers and sisters announcing the mystery of God, get this. I did not come with the brilliance of speech or wisdom. In other words, he didn't come speaking fancy talk. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The focus of his conversation was not on the world events, was not on things that are happening around him, it was just like, this is Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and how he loves you. Verse three, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Verse five, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's our part. You wanna grow in your Christian life? You wanna experience the fullness that God has promised you? You wanna see by faith what God can do? You know what that means? That means us being weak. That means us not relying on ourselves, but on him. That means on us looking at God's wisdom and not our own wisdom. But see, does that not encourage your heart? Does that not stir your souls as you look and see what God is able to do through people as weak and as frail and as through a cracked vessel like us? That we have a chance now with things opening again to be, to see, and to do things differently that by faith through the power of the holy spirit by obeying god's word we can be a part of god building his church the way he wants to build it the way he wants to move it the way he wants to grow it and we like spiritual stones we're told in peter we might be built up a spiritual house That like the saints of the Faith Hall of Fame, we too can have a similar fashion that these men and women do, that we can be commended for our faith, as it says in the NIV. That none of them, even though these guys didn't receive what was promised, that they would partake of something perfect. You see, the difference between who's recorded in the Faith Hall of Fame and us now is that we, we have received the perfection spoken about in Jesus Christ. Like I said, it's why Jesus came. It is why he died, it is why he rose again, so that we might be made perfect through faith in him. And when we stand before our God, our heavenly father, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. And it is why as, as his church, we, we won't be a group of people just taking up space. We won't be a people just sitting here, existing for the sake of existing, but that we will be a group of people that by faith will shine as a light, that by faith will proclaim a message of truth that transforms lives, and by faith experience the power that he desires to work in each of us. By faith. So with that, just like the bay heads, I will close in a word of prayer and then I'll just have one brief announcement after that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now as cracked vessels, as people in need, we ask for you to move in our hearts. We thank you for the example laid out for us within this faith hall of fame of people who are imperfect and yet you could do amazing things through being such a gracious and loving God I ask that you will work in our hearts that you will change our hearts that you will change our focus and that we as your people will submit and experience the fullness of who you are please help us Lord as we look to you for light for life and for the greatest of all love so we ask you to dismiss us now glorify yourself through us